0: Welcome back to The Francisca Show, the show on which people share their stories. This is the Survivor Special, where survivors of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse come forward to share their experiences, thereby raising awareness and preventing the likelihood of it happening again. No further research has been done into these stories. This episode is intended for mature audiences, and listener discretion is advised. I am Francisca and you are listening to the No More Silence special on The Francisco Show. I hope you had a beautiful Hanukkah, and I'm so excited to share this episode with you today. Our guest chose not to change his name. He does give identifying factors. However, if you would like to be interviewed or you know someone who would like to be interviewed, I am also looking to interview someone from a parent's perspective. So if you are a parent of... survivor of abuse, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. And you can have your name changed, your voice changed. We can definitely accommodate you. If you do enjoy this episode, please go onto my website, franciscamusic.com for more information on show notes for to see what else is going on. I will be announcing some exciting news on our next podcast. And just one more thing, if you do enjoy the show, please share this with someone else you think may enjoy this podcast as well. And of course, please subscribe, leave a review, and reach out to me. You can always reach out on Facebook, Instagram, my handle is francisca music, or email me at FranciscaK at gmail.com. Today on the show with us, we have Shua, we go by first names here. And Shua reached out and he would like to share a story. I'm excited about the story because we're going to add a new twist in this story because Shua does go forward, press charges, and we'll find out what happens in the episode. So the mic is yours and feel free to start wherever you feel comfortable, wherever you feel it's relevant.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I just got tremendously nervous. (laughs) So uh, I guess my story goes back to uh, I grew up there one of uh, 12 in uh, Lakewood, pretty yeshivish family. And I would say that from a very young age, I I felt like I didn't fit in. And I I mentioned this because I think it played a big role into how vulnerable I was. And uh, I I was constantly doing things to try to try to fit in. Like I said, I, I came from a pretty big family and, uh, I would try to do things to stand out. And I also had a lot of trouble in school. You know, I had trouble sitting still. I had trouble grades-wise and uh, just sort of socially. And uh, uh, it just a constant feeling of I, I, I'm different. I don't fit in. I'm, I'm not good enough. And, uh, you know, I'm not getting good grades. And that was a school where they were hitting the kids. I would uh, I would get hit a lot. And, and uh, sort of the, the psychological message I kept getting as a kid was, different i'm not good enough and yeah uh, i was uh 10 years old and i came across a guy by the name of yosef coco he was a camp counselor in uh in our in our summer camp the school had a summer camp and uh, he was like the most respected counselor and and mind you at that point I'm, i'm literally doing anything i can to try to uh fit in to try to feel wanted to try to you know what I mean? I'm I'm getting in trouble every day in school. I'm I'm socially not doing that well. I, I come across him and he's he's the he's the coolest counselor in camp. Everyone respects him. And like it, it would mean the world to me if he would just pay some attention to me. And he does. He puts me in his play. And you know, I have a tremendous passion for music and, and performing, and he puts me in the in the camp play, and he puts me in the camp choir and he's giving me individual attention and I'm loving it. (laughs) You know, that's the, uh, that's exactly, it's everything I needed. Now I'm cool. Now, now because he respects me, I'm respected. Like it's all, it's all clicking into place. And that's, uh, that's that summer. Um, I don't see him a lot during the year. He was a substitute teacher. He, he substituted my class also. And when, when he was substituting the class, I was able to do really what I wanted. I was, you know, it was like really, there's definitely a very specific interest in me, and at that time, that was that felt amazing, you know. And then fast forward to the next year, I, again academically, I'm doing even worse, and socially, I'm doing even worse, and I'm getting older, and 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 you know, really just kind of uh, in a really bad place. And he's already sort of laid laid down that connection, and basically, I remember actually telling my mother once that this is the this was this guy was the only friend I have. So I was talking to my mother about friends, like about my friends. And I said, I have one friend and his name is Yosef Coco and he's 34. And my mother's like, "No, that's, that's not a good idea. Just to jump through it a little bit. So basically he, at some point during that summer, he started grooming me, which is basically, you know, stepping a little bit outside the lines. Anyway, I, I think that summer he basically started taking it to a different, slightly more inappropriate level. Again, nothing that I, I was completely alarmed at, but I, I didn't really know what was going on. I was a little loopy. I was definitely very, very excited about the rewards of, of having him as, as my quote-unquote friend. Kind of didn't didn't really pay much attention to. He would take me into, uh you know, into like private rooms and, and do some like weird stuff that I didn't understand. I, I just didn't, you know, I, I didn't feel like it made any, it wasn't worth making a problem over because I got so much out of out of my relationship with him and then fast forward during that year that's when the abuse really started and 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 he he definitely um he definitely knew what he was doing in the sense of he eased his way in uh, there was I pushed back in the beginning and he he knew how to deal with that um I mean it it sounds very disgusting to say but he's definitely someone who was highly experienced in in abusing children and um that the abuse went on for for quite a while for about a year a little less than a year what ended up happening uh is for a very long time i for m- the majority of the abuse i hated him i hated what was going on and did not feel like i had the ability to do anything about it and i would try to like like it, he was what he wasn't married it was my hope that like he would get married and like leave me alone you know uh, and I remember having conversations with him, just kind of like, "So how's your dating going?" <laughs> like, uh, well, you know, like, like literally trying to give him dating advice so that he can leave me alone, and and things like that. You know, uh, eventually, I think he he left me alone for a little bit, long enough for me to. Oh, oh, the other thing during that year is that this was my biggest secret, and and I I was aware of it at every you know at every moment, and I was always on the lookout for when I can possibly tell somebody. I think he he left me alone for a little bit. I don't know if he was busy or doing something else, or I don't know what his deal was, but I had a free moment to kind of process somewhat what was going on. And um, I had friends over. I used to like, uh, Shavas, I used to like going out, and um, I used to like walk to classmates. I sort of soft told them, like I I, I told them I have a secret, and I, I didn't tell them like, too many details. But I, I told them, I, I think the reaction was pleasant enough that I felt comfortable telling my father. Eventually, I, I did tell my father. I, that's this is the way I remember it. Uh, the, the, I was seeing a therapist at the time and she thinks I told her first, but I don't remember telling her first. I remember telling her, but I don't think I told her first. But anyway,
0: how old were well, you?
1: Uh, I was 12 when I told um, my parents. I, I did tell my father on the way home from a therapy session that that I do remember. I was seeing a, I was seeing a therapist in Lakewood for supposedly because of my my bad behavior and at school or, you know, my inability to sit still and and like I mentioned earlier, like I had these issues before being molested. Uh, you can imagine while being molested how much of a, uh, how difficult sitting in school was for me. So, you know, I was seeing a therapist and, and on the way home, I told my fa- the whole time, the whole way home, I was like, I, I need to tell you something. And my father was very, very pleasant about it. He's like, look, if there's anything you need to tell me, you, you wouldn't get in trouble. There's no. Uh, and and he, he definitely made himself as available as possible. Uh, he definitely said that multiple times in, in, in that year, I think it was I think they knew something was up. they weren't quite sure what or what to do about it. But yeah, I, I eventually told them at, at 12, I told him and I went to sleep. And I, I basically said, you can't do anything without letting me know first. And I, I didn't give him much details. I, you know, I, I didn't really, I didn't know the word molestation. I didn't know anything. I just kind of said somebody makes me pull down my pants or something like that. I didn't really, I didn't really want, I didn't really know how to articulate what I, what was going on. Um, I went to sleep. I found out afterwards that my father stayed up all night. Basically, there was a short period in where they went to a in Lakewood. And it seemed like Coco was cooperating, uh, which means by the way, which is like the easiest, like that, w- that, w- that would have been him getting away pretty easily because all he had to do was go to therapy and quit his job with kids, which he ultimately didn't follow through with. He stopped doing that. And um, he wasn't going to therapy and he was he got another job in a camp, which interpreted to us or to me would be that he had every intention of continuing to do what he d- what he was doing. So we went to the police. <laughs> very at that time, definitely it was it was a very unheard of thing to do. I don't know of anyone else that did that at that time. There was another case that came forward like two years afterwards in in williamsburg the 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 community had a hard time dealing with it. The reactions uh, of people were um, very strong and very loud. They were I, I don't think it was everyone. I think it was. Um, a couple people making a lot of noise, but basically the community was not, <laughs> it was an adjustment for the community, let's say it like that. We got uh, harassed on the daily. A friend, people, you know, that were in my neighborhood would see me on the street and yell at me that I'm going to go to Gehenna, that my father's going to go to Gehenna. And, you know, it was very, very, very public. It was very hard to stay. Like we went away for that summer. Like it, it was right before the summer, like the last couple days of school that, and then I went to the police and, that summer, we kind of like escaped Lakewood for, for just to kind of uh, not have to deal with that. And 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 when we got back, it was pretty evident that uh, it would be very hard to live there. I think my father, with his personality, would would have been fine living there. But uh, um, my mother and, and the rest of us were, were getting kind of tired of the phone calls. And, and, and you know, my father was a rov of a shul. And um, I was actually dominating there at the time. And the two guys came running in, yelling, screaming, and handing out papers. And they had to literally physically pick him up and throw him out. So it's kind of scary for like a 12-year-old kid just kind of watching this unfold.
0: So I just have a few follow-up questions. You said, and I don't know if you didn't want to go into it, but could you give a few examples of grooming and the the boundaries being crossed, yet it's not sexual abuse yet? Um, just as an example for someone who might be wondering or who would like to give exact examples to their children. Sure. Or or know of certain things that are no no's, that are clear signs of red flags.
1: Sure. Well, I think um he used to call it hawk, which is by the way, everyone uses that term pretty innocently, but for me it like it it hurts me every time I hear it or even say it. But he used to call it hawk, and 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 what that meant initially was, first of all, the, in the grooming process was, it, what a red flag would be is just the, all that individual attention. Sitting next to me on the bus, sitting, you know, first of all, in the fact that he was on the bus, but just sort of all that all that individual attention, and the, specifically when it started moving into that direction where. Just where he was testing the waters, he would there was uh, he would either take me to an empty classroom or there was construction going on upstairs. So he'd take me upstairs, which by the way we weren't allowed to be upstairs, so that was a no no in the in itself. He he would ask me to lean against him, fully clothed, that that sort of thing, and he would like touch me, fully clothed. Yeah, like like you know, it, it's clearly wrong and and inappropriate, but not so wrong and inappropriate that I'm, that I would necessarily, you know, know enough to be, to have a problem with it, you know?
0: Right. So it seems like the fact that your parents were very open and accepting, or at least your father, and he was in a position of influence and where this could have potentially hurt him, he, it's not something that he just shoved under the rug, which is very nice to hear in these circumstances. So what happens after this? You you come out. You're in therapy. Your family stays in Lakewood, or they move.
1: Ultimately, we 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 move. We're, we're, that summer when we were in Chicago, we we're thinking of maybe setting up shop in Chicago. Again, so we, we came forward. The process is for those who don't know. The process is um, I came forward when I was 12 which it was actually a pretty extensive process of talking to detectives who are trained in this, who try to trip you up, who ask you, don't try to trip you up, but they're, they're very, very careful. They don't just, you don't just go forward and arrest people for those. I got a lot of comments like, uh, like anyone could just come forward and do that. It's it's actually quite challenging. You would have to really, 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 uh, I don't know. I, I don't think a 12 year old can be trained to be able to lie in that matter when you have trained detectives, uh, uh, you know, if someone's arrested for for abuse, that means that there was a a pretty big process that happened. You know, before before they were arrested, it wasn't just he touched me and then he gets arrested. There's a, there's a pretty significant uh, interrogation. There was about four years between the time it came forward until he actually was tried in court. Which is quite, it's usually about two years. So there was uh, some things that he's that that he did throughout the way, like um, he changed lawyers and and whatever he did different. Uh, different things to try to push off the trial, which from my view is if, if you're guilty, the only the only option you have is to push it off. So I was a little I was a little out of it. You know, I it wasn't I didn't have to think about it. I thought he was going to plead guilty. So I didn't really like where my where my head was is I was just I was doing my thing. I finished uh I was thirteen. I was going into yeshiva. Oh, one of the problems was is that since I came out, since I went to the police, um I got kicked out of yeshiva. Without even going in, that's actually part of the story. I was going to go to yeshiva in Lakewood, and after this can, kind of came out, uh, my father got a call that I'm no longer welcome in that yeshiva. So it was a it was a challenge for him. I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't again. I was a little out of it. I was a little, you know, I was doing my thing. I wasn't really too focused on what was going on. It was a little, um, I was a little numb to it, I guess. It was a little, uh, uh it was a little much for me. But uh, I, I eventually, my father got me into a yeshiva in Detroit. So, I started there, and eventually it just made sense for everyone to follow along. my my brother's school closed down. That was actually the school that i that I went to that I was hit at, you know, so I was, I was actually kind of happy that it closed down.
0: What do you mean you were hit at?
1: The teachers and the principal were we used to hit the kids as a form of discipline. I think by at a certain point, they stopped doing that, but uh, I still had a bad taste in my mouth <laughs> from 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 just from that school being around. so I was actually kind of kind of relieved that it, that it closed down. We ended up all, you know, moving to Detroit it just made the most sense. And my parents are still there, and uh, are, are quite happy there, actually.
0: Okay, so you're settled now in a new place, and you're getting older. Are you already removed from the process of of arresting your abuser? Or is this still ongoing?
1: I, you know, I, I, it's not my main focus. There's There's a lot of stuff that's going on. He's doing a lot of Funky stuff. There's a lot of politics in the Jewish community that I I completely. Uh, I remember my father asked me like, "Hey, do you want to hear an update?" My father was very involved. My grandfather was very involved. I, as much as possible, just did not want to hear about it. The only time it really took up my time was there was multiple trial dates. The first date was was set for about two years, and so it's a big deal now because we're in Detroit. So, whole family is, and there's a lot of us. So, you know, my whole family kind of came into town, um, going to Lakewood itself is, is, is a challenge for me doing all the trial prep, which is, you know, kind of really delving into, you know, all the details, you know, which is just opening up those, those, those scabs, uh, which is really challenging. And then only to have it pushed off again, you know, a day before the trial, it's kind of a challenge. So during, during those four years, there were a couple of times that we all came in for trial prep, kind of got, got into it. And then, uh they they convinced the judge to push it off. And uh, and we all went back to Detroit. <laughs> but for the most part, I, I kind of stayed out of it uh, until I got a little older. So what happened was, is uh, I wasn't doing too well in yeshiva. And uh, eventually I, I left when I was like 16. Uh, and by the way, the trial still didn't happen. Wow. I left, uh, I really stopped going to yeshiva and I got a job leading up to the trial. I, I, I actually couldn't really focus on my job either. And I kind of, like with like a couple of weeks before, just kind of kind of took off. I think all the the nerves started setting in and it was just uh, it was a lot.
0: So before we talk about the trial, were you the first one who came forward against this abuser?
1: Yeah, well, publicly, I, I think I know that he so as, like as far as in the legal system, sure. I, I do think that there were stuff that happened. He used to be a counselor in Campaguda and then got kicked out for these kind like, you know, it's always very vague and under the. Under the carpet, like you know, stuff happened basically, and he had to move to Lakewood. you know I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely the first person to legally face him and to publicly face him as well.
0: And did people join you throughout the legal process?
1: So during those four years, no, uh, I didn't hear from any any victims of his. I did get a call right away. I got a call from somebody I went to school with who was in his English class. So we'd have a lot of contact with him. And I got a call that uh, he wanted to talk to me and then uh, backed out, which is weird for like a 12 year old kid. There aren't usually these kind of arranged meetings, you know, between friends. <laughs> it's like, I have something I want to tell you, like, let's meet at this coffee shop. Let's meet at this pizza place or whatever it is. And like, it, it was pretty clear that something was going on, but didn't end up following through with it. I think it's something with his parents. But it seemed like that's what he was uh, trying to do. but anyway during during the during the process, no one um, no one else came forward, but uh, at some point during the trial, two more victims came forward.
0: Okay, so would you like to talk a little bit about the trial process?
1: Yeah, so the trial is, is uh, interesting. So like I mentioned before about trial prep, there was we we got started on trial prep, and um, what that means is I'm essentially sitting down with the pr- uh, prosecutor and the detective, and they're just sort of asking me the same questions that, that they're going to ask me on the stand, and, and kind of just, just to make sure that I'm I'm in good shape, like that I'm not going to get myself in trouble, or kind of what to prepare myself for. Like, he's going to probably try to ask you this, he's going to try to embarrass you, he's going to try to say this, don't fall for this trap, you know, they, they've they seen this enough, they've, they know what the lawyer is going to try to do, and they sort of try to prep me as much as possible, you know, and... As a part of that, like, like, for example, she showed me the room that it's going to be in. So then I'm like, I know I have a, I have a second to like get comfortable. And I know whenever different things like I can ask for water, if I want water, I can ask for a minute, like different, just sort of to get me prepped and ready and, you know, ready to do it, as well as going over, like I said, all the itty bitty details of, of what happened, what color his car was, like literally every Every little thing that they'll try to make me look, you know, try to make me look bad if I don't remember, or things like that. So, which by the way, I said I said many times that I don't remember, and I think that didn't make me look any less credible. If I don't remember, I don't remember. that's 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 all it was. Also, one of the big things of a trial prep before we get to the trial itself is that I, I was able to get in touch with another victim who was going through this, who actually went through this, and she was incredible in giving me tips like bringing a stress ball on the stand. That was like who'd have thought of that? but like that was amazing. We talked for a while, and it really, really helped to have that. so I guess I'm just putting it out there if anyone is going through this and and um i'm I'm definitely one hundred percent open to to walking you through it or talking about my my you know talking giving some tips uh, but uh, the trial was uh was was very scary you uh, it uh. I, I wasn't allowed it. My father was testi- was testifying as a witness, so I couldn't he couldn't be there in my, you know to hear my testimony. I couldn't hear his. Um, i it was very sort of isolated. Uh, the room was filled with about I don't know, like uh, probably probably about half of the room was was his family or his supporters, about a couple of people supporting me. Um, my, my personal family, not so many people came, um, but, uh, um, enough, you know, my, my grandparents came and I don't I'm trying to think of, I think, I think that was it, um, for the trial. Um, but there were a couple of people from like the community and, uh, people that saw me before and just said that they're supporting me. So, but, uh, I, I think, uh, on the stand, I think I, I, I dissociated. I, I basically, I was like, zeroed in on, on whoever was asking me the questions, whether it was the prosecutor or the lawyer. And I, um I just answered each question as they, as they came, you know, I remember it was like the long, I don't know how long I was on the stand, but it was like the longest, that was the longest day. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a lot. The guy is, is, you know, the, the person who has caused you so much pain is sitting right in front of you and staring at you and um you know he's got a room full of people and then the the jury it's it's you know it can be a lot but um but i, I think for like where my head went is I'm, I'm just gonna listen to the questions and answer the questions. and another thing that they they like to do is they like to ask they like to sort of um give you like make you agree to something that's not totally true and then they'll um then they'll try to like. Tr- and then they'll try to like keep that lie going, basically. So they'll say like, "So is it true that?" The-, and they give a very general statement, and, and they know that there's one part of that that's not true. And then they'll like, "Well, didn't you do this and this on this and this date, whatever it is?" And then they basically try to make you look like, uh, like a liar. I, I think my, my my strategy of just zeroing in on on that question and just not even thinking like my brain wasn't functioning enough for me to think. Well, I answered five minutes ago something else. Like I just literally, uh, you know, I literally they asked the question. I thought about, you know, I just answered I answer the question, you know, and I'm going off my memory. I'm going off like what happened, so I don't need to worry about being consistent. And if it comes inconsistent, that's I don't, you know, I don't <laughs> whatever. If I answer something else differently, I don't know. Like this is this is my answer. This is what this is the truth for me. Um, Anyway, so I did that. That was, uh, that was on a Wednesday. Um, it was sort of a, a full day of back and forth between the lawyer and the prosecutor. And, uh, it was just sort of very, very, um, uh, very intense, uh, both, you know, emotionally and, and, uh, just very draining as well as like, it's really, really, really almost like reliving the trauma. It's like very, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. And, um, It was Wednesday, Thursday, my father testified and and some other witnesses like uh, his therapist was able to testify and my therapist testified and and just, you know, different witnesses. Uh, There was no court on Friday. So Monday morning, the prosecutor came in and said that there were two more victims that came forward. After that, he pled guilty to all the charges. I think I was already in Detroit, which, uh, which I was like bummed. It's like uh, I think I think it would have been satisfying to see it all end, you know.
0: So, first of all, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing these very elongated and excruciating periods in your life. Moments. Did your abuser try to justify himself to you, or try to convince you to change your mind? Was there any of that, or was he not allowed to talk to you anymore at a certain point? And. Was there any denial? What What was the confrontation like for you?
1: So again, from from my personal perspective, and and yes, there's definitely a uh, uh, there's definitely tremendous um, uh, laws in place about uh, um, intimidation of, of a witness and and um, uh, just in general. Um, so there was no contact between me and him after I uh, went to the trial, but there was a tremendous amount of pressure from the community in many different forms, uh, which I just kind of like, I didn't personally necessarily take, I I realized that that was going on, but I didn't really, it felt like my father was the one who was really taking on a lot of the, a lot of the slack in in that, in that, um, regard. All the letters were really, um, targeting him. He was the one who was, who was, being called a, a miser or whatever it is. He was the one who really wasn't. Uh,
0: well, this was all happening because of him, because otherwise a minor, I don't think, can proceed to trial on his own. I mean, maybe he can't.
1: Uh, could be. I, it, it, I think he definitely was happening because of him, because it was his idea. I, at that point, I was following through. I'm, I'm very, very happy that he chose to, to do that, and and at this point, I, there was a there was definitely a point after the trial where I'm just sort of trying to recover, and I'm angry at at, at everyone and everything, <laughs> and uh, I'm really trying to process it all. And there was a time where I was very angry. It was like now, now I'm in a worse position. I'm not happy, and I don't care that he's like you know. What I mean, I was just kind of like, uh, um, I remember. So I stayed in contact with the, with that other um, uh, survivor who went through trial, and I was I remember texting her like. This is this sucks. Like, I'm not like now I went through this. Everybody knows my story. Everybody, like, uh, it was like pretty public and, um, and I'm just, I'm, you know, it didn't, it didn't help anything. That was my immediate, um, reaction, but definitely where I'm at today and, and didn't take very long to, to, um, feel a tremendous sense of, of closure and, um, just sort of, uh, Uh, just allow me to to put a lid on it and, and and start moving on
0: it's really incredible because so many survivors and victims do not go forward because of this brutal process of what on the prosecution level or to the legal system what it does to the person who already went through all the trauma so it's reliving it you might be thrown under the bus and, and disqualified or the defender, the abuser might even be let go at the end. So it's, it's such a not, it's not a guaranteed success outcome. If anything, even if you do get a successful outcome, the toll it takes on oneself is tremendous just to get there. So how do, does that affect you now as an adult? The fact that you have overcome something extremely massive in your life, And you've done it successfully. You probably encouraged a lot of other people to come forward. And I I feel like some people don't let it define their life, but you and your family chose to proceed in a certain way that did define your youth in a big way. How how does that affect you as an adult?
1: Well, I think that first of all, whether I like it or not, it's 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 here. Like uh, I can either. I think people who don't choose to let it define their life.
0: I'm saying, not defined necessarily, but that did take a huge part of your life. Sure. uh, As opposed to somebody goes to therapy and then totally focuses on something else. This was taking up, I mean, you say you had to fly in for the trial or drive in, and it was so ongoing, it was so over-consuming, it consumed up your life. So whether it was defined in your life or not, it was a big part of your everyday life for a really long time.
1: Sure, well, so I think so I see it as two parts of sort of w- w- what was going on then that, that caused us to make that um, decision to really focus in so much, and, and how is that affecting me today? Um, I, I think the uh, back then, uh, my father was extremely motivated by the fact, again, he's, he's, he's uh, my father's the, probably the, well, uh, he was just an, an incredible person, and, and he was motivated by, uh, not by justice not by revenge but by the fact that this guy is out there and he can continue doing it and he will continue to do it if he's not stopped and so my father viewed it as this is like like life life and death like this guy when you have um in Jewish law when you have a a right if someone who's a murderer who's out there it's your obligation to stop him so that that was my father's motivation um and where he felt like he had he had a, a Halachic obligation to follow through with it. Um, the, uh, for, for me right now, look, I, I've, I've been through, you know, I've been through a, a tremendous amount of, of therapy and, and uh, work on it. And, um, and uh, it, it's been, it's been a long journey. That's, that's still ongoing. And it's going to be ongoing probably for the rest of my life, but um, the, the fact that he—I'm sure a lot of victims can relate to this, but uh, like, uh, or or survivors. <laughs> but uh, you know, like I, I, if when I'm on the subway in New York, like if there's anyone who resembles him, I, I get nervous. But like, there's a certain sense of comfort that I get that I know it can't be him because he's in jail, <laughs> you know. Um, and he, even I, he, you know, the the there are like little little perks that I feel safer in the world that that he's not um, that he's not around. Um, uh, you know, I, I always have, I have like different nightmares and stuff that, uh, <laughs> that he's going to show up or, or, um, I haven't had them recently, but I definitely like when I was working, uh, in, in Detroit, like, uh, I remember vividly, like the door ringing like my, my head went, maybe that's him. <laughs> um, so like different, different, um, there's a different, Sense, you know, it provided a certain sense of comfort. Like it it can't be him. Um, and, uh, I I think that, that, you know, but uh, touching on the, on the subject of, of other people might not get the outcome. I I think the, the, I I went to a treatment center in, in Florida called the refuge, which is uh, an incredible place, which I was very, very lucky enough to be able to get in. Um, and, uh, I remember there, um, almost feeling guilty for having, for having being able to go come forward and having, being able to have the result that I had, whereas other people, uh, either didn't have the kind of parents that I had or, uh, didn't have the, the, the same result. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but I, I think, and and my heart goes out for, for, for them. And, and, uh, um, but I think the w- what seems to be very apparent to me is that the act of going through, and I'm, I really shouldn't be talking this so much because I, you know, I, I'm not in their position necessarily. But the the act of going through it is 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 the act of, of providing closure, and and the outcome is not necessarily in um, your hands or not. You know, it's not something that you can necessarily control the outcome. But uh, regardless, you you sharing your story and you um, doing whatever you can to, um, to, to, to stop this person from continuing to hurt other people, uh, as well as, you know, uh, just provides, um, is, is this, is the first step in the road to recovery. I think it's the first, the first, whether, 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 you know, whether he gets locked up for life or, uh or or gets away scot-free you, you did your part to um you, you do you did what you had to do and and um uh or you you know yeah you did your part into into stopping into i guess yeah i'm trying to figure out the word i'm trying to say but you you did your part and basically whatever else happens is out of your hands but but it allows that road to um to rec- i think you had someone on your show who said that uh, you know, they knew that it wouldn't really do anything, but they, uh, they basically told someone just for the sake of they, they needed to get it out. And I, I, that, that resonated very strong with me. I think that regardless of the outcome, you need to get the story out. You need to get the secrets, these kind of secrets are the ones that are that going to kill you, you know, that are going to really eat you. And and getting it out there, regardless of, of the outcome, there will be people who uh, will believe you and will support you Um, and just zero in on them.
0: (laughs) Wow. And is there anything, a part of your adult life now that you either carry on or is your mission or some sort of involvement in this? Just because you do have a lot of experience in the sense of you went through the legal process, quote unquote, you are a success case because everyone's a success case technically speaking but you're somebody who could say you know what? I did it I I went to the finish line or what if there is even a finish line is there something that that you're dedicating toward this or is this something you're putting behind and you're focusing now on the next stage of your life which is absolutely legitimate and everyone should look at the next stage of their life and try to do something that's not relevant but sometimes survivors do take this and say you know what this happened to me for a reason and I want to do something related to this so I'm just curious is that something
1: so for for a very long time well I don't know for a very long time but definitely you know from uh when I was I remember when I was like 13 um my mother. so first of all when I was 12 uh people my age, like I can, I was very, it was very easy for me to spot out who else was molested because there are certain behaviors that, um, or certain knowledge and certain kind of like things that are very, very apparent. Like 12 year olds don't really know about different sexual things or, you know, different things that are, um, you know, uh, whatever. As a 12 year old, I was able to kind of pick out from a crowd. So I actually realized, um, uh, about someone in my class who was, uh, who was molested. And I, I felt, you know, I, I, I talked to him and he actually told me. And, uh, uh, as a 12 year old, I don't think I handled that as well as I could have. <laughs> I did the best I could, but, uh, I think ultimately, uh, I wasn't, um, I wasn't really equipped to, to, to deal with that. Uh, but definitely I did, I did feel a sense of responsibility if, if I can try to help somebody, um, that I should do it. But I, I think for a little bit, for as far as doing any, any official thing for, uh, I've, I've been approached a little bit, uh, especially before or, or following um, the trial. And I found that it was incredibly triggering, like um, unbelievably difficult just to, just to be on the phone or just to kind of even be involved in it. And I, I couldn't imagine myself being able to, uh, emotionally tolerate, um, you know, dealing with this and, and being aware of it. Like I, if, if, uh, if at that point, definitely, if like a uh, if uh, if if a documentary on molestation came up, I, I wouldn't be able to watch it or if you know uh, or if even something lighter, if there was like a comedy joke about molestation, it would it would bug me or different things like that. Uh, if I would read something of faith, you know, it, it was very, very i was I would say it was in a very, 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 very fragile state. Uh, and it didn't take a lot to get me uh, kind of triggered and 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 um, you know, not. Uh, not okay. And for that reason, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really involve myself so much. And I think recently, um, I've been doing a lot better with that. Um, as as is apparent with the, with this interview, uh, or, or, or doing things like this, where, um, I do try to reach out whenever I can. And, um, it does give me, it fills me with a, with a, with a certain sense of life that I, I, it's hard to get from really anything else. Like there's a certain sense of purpose. And, um uh you know comfort that I get from from doing this kind of work that uh, that I don't really get from other areas in life doesn't take away it's still quite challenging I think it's still quite uh whenever I hear stories or whenever I talk to people uh sorry I'm making it sound like I talk to people all the time I, I don't and I, I do want to get more involved uh, but whenever I'm definitely open to it in uh, more recently um, and, uh, and whenever it does happen, it's, it's, it's always super, super challenging, but it, it it's, uh, it's something that I, I do feel like I, I can, I can handle now. And, uh, it's something that I think also is, is tremendously helpful in a general way for me personally, you know, to be able to, you know, to, uh, it just gives me a sense of purpose and, and, um, that I don't get really from anything else.
0: Right. Makes a lot of sense. I do want to close up with this question, and it might be a little odd-sounding, and I've heard other survivors say that there's a certain amount of love-hate toward the abuser. For example, you did mention how he was your only friend at one point, and you got a lot out of the relationship, which there is that... Well, you have to get over that relationship. Even past abuse, sometimes there's some affection toward that person because you did get something out of that attention and and the love or whatever, the messed up love. But was there any part of mourning that you had to get over or did it become like someone standing there with a gun or with a knife and that was the only part of the relationship? to get over it, only trauma or was there also some of the emotional attachment that was built up that you also had to mourn and get over?
1: You know, I, I, I think the way you say it, it sounds like that would have been probably a healthy response. I, I think it really messed with my uh, ability to have proper relationships. I think because of the, I think it, it didn't, it definitely didn't help <laughs> with, you know, I, I think my attitude towards him was you know, I think the, the, what I internalized was that the relationships I make uh, can really, really hurt me, um, and so maybe don't, maybe don't make any relationships at all. And I, I find that to be uh, um, a, a pretty popular, um, you know, internalization of, well, I, I just have to be careful, and people, you know, and, and my walls come up, and I don't, I don't make relationships easily, uh, and and it, it still, it still plays me today for sure. It's, it's very very challenging for me to open up and to really trust people um and um i don't have a lot of like intimate relationships uh because of that you know because i, I because it, like i subconsciously sort of separate a little bit and i think that you know to try to be to try to um it gives me that 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 illusion of safety um, like you can't hurt me if, I'm, if, if I am if I don't really care about you, if that, that sort of thing. Um, so what I would say is that that's probably what my reaction was then and, and it really hasn't served me. It served its purpose then and it was very good that I was able to uh, develop a coping mechanism then, but uh, it, it really has uh, kind of gotten in my way now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think through a series of, um, of small little steps of, of opening up to people in, in, in very small ways, um, and not being hurt by that and opening up a little more and you know I've been able to make progress in that and that feel definitely still have a lot so a lot of work to do but uh, we're, we're, we're uh, as they say progress not perfection so
0: absolutely so is there anything else you'd like to share before we close do you feel like you got it off your chest the way you'd like it to be
1: sure I, I mean I, I I think in general as as to any To any victim or anyone going through this or has been through this, um, uh, I I think you know. I think it's very apparent that times are changing. You know, I think there was a point where uh, people, where there was a concern that people wouldn't believe you, or or that uh, there. But but today, there's tremendous communities of of people uh, offering support, and and um, and um, uh, you know, if you are suffering, whether uh, there's there's many different um, programs out there that uh, that can help you in any different way, whether it's therapy or um, uh, just someone to talk to or, or whatever, whatever is different resources that are available to help you cope after, after being through something like that. My suggestion is that you reach out. Uh,
0: so thank you so much, Shua, for coming on to the show and really being vulnerable, opening up. We hope this helps other people. Thanks again so much for listening to the No More Silence episode. If you would like to write in or request to be on the show, please do so by emailing me at franciscakay at gmail.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S-K-A-K-A-Y at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and go to iTunes and leave us a good review. With your review, the show will rank higher and help others discover the show. This Francisca Show podcast will be hosting a No More Silence special on abuse once a month. However, do check in on other
1: weeks for the interviews with female Jewish creatives. See you next time.